welcome to the Curious Hope Podcast, where we wrestle with hard topics and hidden questions. We're here at Blue Mountain Community Church. My name is Pastor JD, and I'm here once again with Pastor Nate to wrap up our series, Christian Catchphrases. Yo, yo, yo. Thanks for joining us, Pastor Nate. Of course. So before we start today, I just wanted to give a quick shout out uh, to the people that have helped make this podcast possible. There's a lot. Uh, we have Luke, who did our awesome new introduction. Oh, yeah. So uh, good. If you hear that music bed, that's all Luke. So thank you, Luke. Uh, I know Justin has helped us with soundproofing. Uh, Matt has helped us uh, equalize oh, yeah. the sound. And then my buddy Mark actually sent these bad boys in, these uh, oh, mic snap. guards. And so thanks to a lot of people. Uh, this podcast definitely is a joint effort. So I wanted to say thank you to everyone, especially yeah. to... Uh, you, Nate, for being on three episodes in a row. It's trial by fire. Listen, I wouldn't imagine doing anything else on my Thursdays. <laughs> so as we are here to wrap up this series, we sort of have a grab bag of Christian catchphrases uh, as we wrap up. So uh, are you ready for oh, the first one? I am extremely ready. Extremely ready. Okay, our first Christian catchphrase today is only God can judge me. Uh, so how, how how we should do it today is let's just, I'm just going to throw out a Christian catchphrase and let's let's just talk about it. Let's not go through sure. them. Let's just go one at a time. So yeah. only God can judge me. So where have you heard that before? So I don't hear it a lot, but if you've ever gone to the beach or you've ever gone to like a water park, you'll see guys with this tattooed across their shoulders or on their chest. Only God can judge me. It's like, nope. Nope, that's that's not true. I've seen a tramp stamp uh, or no. two. With, like I'm not even kidding. Like lower back, yeah. Oh my god! Only God can judge me. Where you put it in like the most suggestive place oh. possible. Yeah. Um, it sort of puts the message across. I and like I think the idea of saying only God, only God can judge me, mm-hmm. is I mean like it is biblical. Like obviously, like talking about that God is the final judge. He's going to bring everything to a conclusion, all that jazz. But like, but is that phrase in the Bible? No, it's not. It's not. But the other part is not only is it not in the Bible, but people can judge those people. <laughs> like, like sadly, I mean, it happens. People judge people. So that that phrase is just whether it's we not should. True. Yeah, whether we should or not. You're going to get judged for having exactly. that tattoo yeah. at the beach. Um, you yeah. want to know something funny? Do you know where the song actually comes from? Let's hear it. It comes from a Tupac song. Really? I'm not even kidding me. Have you not heard it? No. It's a pretty famous Tupac song, and I've got to say, it's a good song. Okay. Only God can judge. me, And it's, it's great. It's uh, definitely PG-13, so if okay. you're listening to this and you're under the age of 13, I wouldn't go listen to it. Look but at it's your a good song. But choices. Yeah, it's funny. I bet you anything, a lot of people would think it's from the Bible, but it's actually from yeah. a Tupac song. Yeah. That's where the saying comes from. So, like you were saying, it's uh, somewhat biblical. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Can you expand on what, what So, you I mean, saying? like, in the Bible, we understand that God is the, f- the, the judge. Mm-hmm. He created everything. He's the one that's going to bring everything to what it's supposed to be. Uh, we see countless times throughout Scripture God in the role of a judge. Um, whether that be Old Testament, New Testament, we see it. It's a, it is definitely a metaphor that 
we see con- consistently throughout Scripture. But, yeah, I, I don't like that phrase. I don't hear people actually say that phrase. Mm-hmm. I've just witnessed it as more tattoos than anything else. More tattoos than anything else. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Um, do you think there's any situations where we can say this phrase and it would be okay? It wouldn't be inappropriate? Hmm. Well, you do that. I'm looking up a Bible verse, so. A place where this would be appropriate. Um, I think, obviously, talking about it in church, the idea that God should be the only one judging us and that we shouldn't judge others, I think that is totally probably where it should be, is like, hey, yeah, God should be the only judge, but sadly, humanity judges all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think, honestly, just in church settings is the only time I would consider that slightly appropriate. So when you're being judged by someone else that is trying to make a decision about your eternity. So when I thought about this phrase, um, and I, I looked up a few Bible verses, so some backing for this phrase would be Matthew 7, uh, verses 1. So it says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measures you use, it will be, me- be measured to you. And I know that people in the uh, people outside of the church have often, and for good reason, felt judged by people inside the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this sentiment of hypocrisy that a lot of people think that those inside of the church are hypocrites. Uh, and they're right a lot yeah. of the time because a lot of times we'll judge other people uh, because they struggle with one thing that we don't. But on the flip side, we're struggling completely with something else because we're all sinful. We all have that, you know, as a part of our DNA. So, yes, it is true that, you know, when it comes to the final judgment, only God can judge you. But, and then this is the other phrase to sort of, because to me, I think the answer sort of lies within the brackets, which is what I'm picking up from you. Uh, Have you heard of this verse? This is Matthew 10, verses 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in mm-hmm. hell. So people who say, only God can judge me, sort of say offhandedly like they're glad that only God can judge them, but God is a scary God. <laughs> you know, yeah. like we, we, the fear of God is something that's good to have because if we truly realize God is this awesome, completely indescribable, you know, outer dimensional being that's all powerful and all knowing, that's scary. Yeah. To be judged by someone of that caliber. Yeah. And it's funny that you talked about uh, hypocrisy and judging others. Because mm-hmm. I did try to find some research and do some homework before this one. And I did find that the two top reasons why people, A, don't go to church and why people leave the church are because of judgmental people and hypocrisy. So it's like those people that say, only God can judge me, and then live a lifestyle that, like, is just bad. Because you think it's good, and you're like, oh, only God can judge me. I'm going to live this life of what you were saying, like, this ultimate being is the judge. You should want to, like, live according to that. And then they're, like, out doing a bunch of dumb stuff. It's like, oh, that's, yeah, that's not the case. So, I, yeah, it's funny. Hypocrisy and judgment are the two reasons people leave the church. And 
non-Christians want to join the church. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the answer lies somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. Think you're ready for the next one? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Here we go. Um, and this is this is the one that I want to spend a lot of time unpacking uh, because it's one that I don't think is inherently bad, but it's something we have to be very cautious with. And I say that as someone who, the people that are close to me, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that I say this sometimes. Uh, and I always wrestle with it, though, because I don't know. Anyways, here it is. I don't feel led to do this. Or if someone's ever said, you know, God's God's not telling me to do that. God doesn't want me to do this. Or I feel led to do this. Mm. So that, that claim of God's guidance. Mm. Um, so it's not, there's a lot of sayings that are like sort of a part of that. But yeah, just the, the phrase, I don't feel led. Mm. I hate it. You hate it. Why is that? Uh, in my mind, I associate the phrase, I don't feel led to, I don't feel like doing. Hmm. Um, a lot of people, I don't know, I just, my view of God, just, God isn't going to always point you in a direction. Mm. I think God puts doors in front of us, and door, multiple doors, and they're all doors from God, and we have options. And for people to say that God is leading me through one specific door, I, I can't get behind that. Do you think that we can never know if God's leading us through a specific door? Or do you think there's some circumstances we can? I don't know if he does lead us through a specific door. Like ever? Uh, it's hard for me to say that that's the case. Like, for instance, when I was making the decision to move out here, mm -hmm. I had a couple options as far as like churches and places to consider going. All of them were good options. None of them were bad options. But ultimately, I didn't feel like God was pulling me this way, this way, or this way. All of them were equally just as good. And I feel like it just ultimately came down to it was my decision mm. of which door of those to go through. I think God puts the doors there. And like, let's say it's in a situation where only one door is an option, then yeah, obviously he's leading you through that one door, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm going to push back on you a little bit. Push. I, I completely agree with you because more often than not, yes, God gives us choices um, and he leaves it up to us. And yeah, there might be an option that's better or worse and we can wrestle with that, you know. Uh, but I do think there are certain circumstances where God specifically leads people uh, in their life and whether that's you know in the bible god specifically and just the story that comes to mind is gideon you mm. know gideon was out there doing his own thing yeah. and god is like i have chosen you mm -hmm. to lead my people like very specific like there were no right doors for gideon god didn't really give him like gideon could say yes or no to it so there's always mm -hmm. a choice yeah uh, and i think we'd agree on that but i think that there are certain circumstances where god specifically either has you know specific calling on someone's life or a very specific you know opportunity or choice that he is leading them to but i will say i agree with you that i don't think that that happens very often yeah. um, i think that the times that god does that are very few and far between uh when when, when i hear this phrase because it it does leave a 
bitter taste in my mind. Um, I remember when I came to Walla Walla to visit like four or five years ago, because I have a lot of extended family here. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't know, uh, yes, my wife and I just moved here to Walla Walla, but I've visited almost every every year growing up. And there was one time uh, where I visited a church in town uh, that I shall rename nameless, and attending the service, uh, I remember the, the pastor uh, talking about how God you know, God led them to this specific house and he gave them a great deal. You know, how mm. God helped them buy this uh, super amazing house. Mm. Uh, and to me, that was funny because I was like, if God is, is, if God is leading you to get a great real estate deal, does God lead, you know, does God provide for a parking spot when I want mm. a parking spot? Does he, and, and that just left a really, I don't know, it rubbed me completely in the wrong way. And there have been other circumstances where I've heard of pastors who say, yeah, God just, you know, he's leading us down this path or he's leading me to this church. Uh, and almost always, God is leading the pastor to the church that pays more, <laughs> the church that mm-hmm. is more comfortable for their family. Absolutely. Uh, and so I think it's an overused phrase. Mm. Uh, but I do still think, and, and feel free to push right back on me, I do still think there are certain circumstances where God does lead and guide in our lives. Yeah, I think the best way to put it is it's not common. It's not common. Yeah, it. I would agree from Scripture we obviously see God doing that, like literally pushing someone one direction. Uh, for me, for my instant, like I grew up, I didn't want to be a pastor. Yeah. It's literally one of the things that I wanted to avoid. I felt a calling to. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it. Mm-hmm. So I tried to compromise with God growing up. Like, okay, let's try this. I can still be a positive influence, a positive light, um, but I don't have to do it in the church yeah. and be a pastor and have all the negative things that come with being a pastor. Because growing up in the church, you see oh, yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want it. And so I tried to compromise with God, and I was moving in that direction. And I had a moment that was like, um, what's his name? Jonah. Mm. I had a moment like Jonah where God was kind of leaning you towards one direction, and ultimately you made the choice, right? Mm -hmm. And Jonah made the choice in that story of like nah I'm good I'm going to I'm going to go do my thing mm-hmm. and we see how that turned out right yeah <laughs> we see the end of that story and my story was just like that like I ended up going and pursuing ministry and it was blatantly obvious that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing mm-hmm. but at the same time do I think that I could have done something else yes but I think God was Definitely pushing me one way or the other. Well, and I think, I think you brought up the the perfect point right there um, that I think applies to almost always when God does specifically lead. You said it was something you didn't want and something that was hard for you. So when we look at the Bible, and at least in my personal life, because I'm in the same boat, that when God has specifically led in my life, uh, when I'm convinced that he has, it's always what I don't want. Mm. <laughs> it's always something hard. And I think that's why the the pastor who God led him to the great job in the new house leaves such you know a, a, a bitter uh, memories because that's something like nice and good. Mm. God almost always leads us to areas of growth or areas that are really difficult, mm-hmm. you know, where we have to rely on him. 
Um, would you say that that's a good qualification to that phrase, that if you do think God's leading you to something, it's almost always going to be to something that either personally stretches you or something that's just plain difficult? That's what I've experienced in yeah. my life. So, yes, I would say that. Mm. The, the other thing about this phrase is the fact that you can't argue with it. Yes, right? and that's the... You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you can't say, uh, no, God isn't leading you to this decision. Mm-hmm. You can't You can't argue it. And I think that's why a lot of people go to it. Mm-hmm. It's because, like, oh, can you help out with this? Sorry, God isn't, God isn't leading me there. Yeah. And it's like, mm. okay, well, cool yeah. story, and Especially bro. if you throw in, like, I prayed about it, and God's yeah. not, I don't feel led there. Yeah. Yeah. You can't argue with it. Yeah. So if we do ever use this phrase or feel that way, don't do that. We have to say it in humility. Say, God's not leading me. Say, I think or I perceive. Because we have to realize uh, we aren't perfect at receiving messages from God. How, I like the analogy of a TV antenna, right? So we have mm. our antennas tuned in to people around. I misunderstand people all the time. My wife knows better than anyone that I can be listening 100% and just not, you know, be picking up what she's putting down. If I struggle to communicate with my friends, my coworkers, uh, my family, imagine how often I'm going to miss messages from God too. Mm-hmm. So I think when we say these kinds of phrases like I feel led or I don't feel led, it always has to be in humility. Like I think that God's leading towards this, even if you're sure, because I know even if I'm not 100% sure God's leading towards this, I could still be wrong mm-hmm. because there's two parties in a communication and I know how messed up I am, yeah. you know? So uh, I'm with you. You have to you have to be humble. If you do feel led, if you feel like God's calling you, it's possible, but you have to be humble. Uh, and it's more likely than not, it's going to be something you don't want or something that's hard. Yeah, I think people just need to learn to be honest. I think truthfully, if we could just be honest mm. with one another, that phrase probably wouldn't get used a whole lot. Oh, yeah. Because mm. every time I've seen it in my own life being used, it's usually because someone didn't want to do something. <laughs> and, like, it's just a cop-out. And I think we need to – I think what I'm getting out of this conversation is we need to reclaim that phrase because mm-hmm. that phrase is not inherently bad yeah it's not and we we believe that god can call you to things but it's been overused and it's been abused yes mm-hmm. and so i think just what we need to do is stop using it as a cop-out mm-hmm. and actually use it for like actually listening to god yeah the, those moments where god really leads in our lives like explicitly, if you're like you and you're like me, because I'm the same way, I, I can count probably on two hands where I'm like, where God has really, really led in my life. We shouldn't use this phrase as much as we use it. No. Uh, it's a cop-out in it a is. lot of ways. Uh, awesome. You ready for the next one? No, but yes. <laughs> no, but yes. Here we go. Uh, God helps those who help themselves. Mm. Have you heard that one before? I've heard it, but I haven't heard it like said to me Mm. when have you heard it before oh man i think it was i think i've heard it in like school in school yeah i've uh i can't pinpoint anyone that i've heard say it before but i know that the sentiment that god helps those who helps themselves 
has existed when talking about or considering those that are like poor or homeless. Um, that why doesn't God just help them? Well, it, it's sort of like the pick yourself up by the bootstraps yeah. mentality we talked about last week. That God helps those who help themselves. Uh, if you had to guess, would you say so? I did a little looking up. Is it in the Bible? No. No, it's not. You're right. So uh, this sentiment is actually found in Aesop's Fables. Oh, you know Aesop's yeah, Fables. Yeah. So that's the in uh, also in some ancient Greek plays. Uh, in English, the exact term "God helps those who help themselves." Uh, it was coined by a 17th century politician, uh, and it was popularized by Ben Franklin. Oh. So that's why it's so common, I think, in, in our everyday use is because, you know, it's good old Ben Franklin. Everything yeah. he says turns into gold in America, at yeah. least. So. It's a weird phrase, though. Yeah. Because it's almost, like, counterintuitive. I think like, it goes against the gospel, well, at least does, how I've experienced but it. God only helps those that help themselves. Well, then you wouldn't need God's well, they... help. <laughs> like, you know, like, if if God only helps those that help themselves, like, then what's the need for God? Yeah. And, and the, the thing, too, is a lot of people can't help themselves. I had a really good conversation with someone uh, who was talking about the pick yourself up by the bootstrap. So they listened to our podcast, and they said— that mentality is so wrong because a lot of people don't have bootstraps to pick themselves up by. Mm. Uh, and that it's such a great point, such a great insight yeah. because, yeah, God helps those who help themselves. What if you can't help yourself? There's exactly. a lot of people that can't help themselves. Um, another interesting thing, this kind of sentiment is also uh, in the Quran. So it says, mm. indeed, Allah will not change the conditions of a population until they change what is in themselves. Mm. Uh, how I experience the gospel uh, is the exact opposite of this phrase. I think that God helps those who can't help themselves. And like we're talking about, we need to get to the point where we realize that we can't help ourselves mm-hmm. in order for God to help us. Uh, yeah, what do you think? Well, if we look at the literal embodiment of God mm-hmm. and the example of God in the flesh, Jesus— Jesus was all about helping the oppressed and the people who couldn't help who themselves. Couldn't help themselves. Literally, like people were dropping people in from roofs to like he like to be healed. Mm. Like and he did it. And we have examples of like him not always necessarily helping those who were in a better condition. Yeah. But we have examples of God helping those that Hmm. had no way of helping themselves. Hmm. And it's so interesting that you bring that example up um, of the guy lower down from the roof. I think it's in either Mark 1 or Mark 2. Mm -hmm. Um, It's such a great example because when you go and you look at that passage, that guy does nothing. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't try to. It's his friends that lower him down. Mm -hmm. He does nothing. Doesn't help himself. And Jesus forgives him and heals him. But that guy was on literally his last leg. He had nothing else. He he couldn't do anything. Exactly. (laughs) He had no options. Yeah. He couldn't even do this. His friends were the ones that put him in that Mm. situation. But, yeah, we see examples of Jesus all the time helping those that can't help themselves. Mm -hmm. And it sort of goes... Uh, and and I, I remember having this conversation. I had a friend in high school um, where I was talking about, I was trying to, you know, just, and back then I was, I was super, even, I was talking with everyone about Jesus because mm. it's when I really, you know, um, 
had those personal experiences where I realized the gospel message that I was forgiven. So I, I, I was talking with a friend and he was talking about, hey, no, I need to fix myself, you know, before I, I'm going to wait a little bit, you know, to become religious or mm. to talk to Jesus or whatever, because I have some stuff in my life that I need to fix before I can do that. Uh, back then, I didn't really realize, I didn't really know what to say at all. Uh, but now what, what I could say? say, yeah, what now what I would say is, that's just wrong. We don't have to fix ourselves before we come to Christ. You know, God helps those who can't help themselves. You don't have to help yourself and get your life together uh, before you start a relationship uh, with Jesus. It's the exact opposite. He tries to draw himself close to those who are poor, who are destitute, who are addicted, who are mm-hmm. um, in pain. Uh, I don't know because I, I see the, those two things coming to you know coming together is. You have to fix yourself before coming to God in this, you know, God only helps those who help themselves. It's that same mentality that we just have to get our act together for God to have favor on us or love us, uh, and it's just wrong. Yeah, because God's love is unconditional. Mm -hmm. We don't have to do anything to earn that, and we do not have to be pure because we'll never be completely pure to enter God's good grace. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think people, yeah, I, when I was younger, I do remember stuff like that of like even myself feeling like, man, am I ever going to get to a place where my relationship with God is more than just me Yeah, like apologizing for being a bad person, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, good stuff. And it's a rough place to be. It's a guilty place to be because if God's not going to help you till you help yourself, we... Sometimes we'll have good days where we're good at doing the right thing, and other days we don't. And so it's 24-7 guilt, you know, if that's the approach you take. That is something that will weigh down, and it will just hurt you even more if you don't take care of that. And guilt is one of those, uh, those big ones that if you're not addressing it, it will take a big toll on your life. I mean, we both know that. Yeah, 100%. So... Uh, to wrap this saying up, I think it's the opposite that's true. God helps those who realize they can't help themselves. Yeah. Um, this is one of the sayings that we, I think every other saying, we sort of qualified it. And mm-hmm. This is one of the ones where I just flat out think it's bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there's any any shred of truth mm-hmm. and evidence that we have to support. Even just like the pop, like we're trying to be optimistic in, all these phrases of seeing like where they came from and why people would say them, but this one—not this one. Yeah, just stop using nothing. it. <laughs> if you're listening, this is the one. If you have to write one down that you don't use anymore, it's this one. Yeah. I've got a few bonus round sayings. Are you ready? Oh, we don't have to spend go. as long on these ones. These are just ones that uh, I thought of right at the last minute. Is that person saved, mm-hmm. or have they accepted Jesus into their heart yet? That's one that I heard a lot. Have you heard that before? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What context did you normally hear that saying? Well, let me give you my air quote salvation story. Okay. Uh, so I'm in the car with my mom and my sister. I believe I'm I'm either six or seven. My mom would be able to. She remembers that day. Um, I'm either six or seven, so it means my sister is usually about four and a half to five and we're listening to a christian radio back in ohio and 
the radio goes to a commercial talking about if you die, where are you going to go? What is going to happen to your soul? So on and so forth. And I'm like, what? What, is it? what, what do you mean? What are you, what are you talking about? And my mom's like, well, like when you die, you're, you go up or you go down. And I'm like, what's down? And then she told me what hell it was. And I'm like, well, that sounds awful. And then she starts telling me about heaven. And I'm like, well, that definitely sounds much better. And so I became a Christian literally based on fear that day. I asked Jesus into my heart. And it was just one of those. And then my sister, because I was worried about her going to hell, I was like, let's do this for you too. Let's make sure you're going up and not down. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's not a healthy healthy way to look at things. But also, if you think about it, for the longest time, my relationship with God was based on fear. Mm-hmm. Just what you want to be saved. It's yeah. not because I necessarily wanted a relationship with God at that point. Mm-hmm. It was, let me do this so I don't go down, Mm. you know, want to go up. Yeah. So I, yeah. And for people to say, like, you think that person's saved? Like, that's just not appropriate in my mind to even be thinking that. But if you are thinking that, why don't you do something about it? You know, like instead of judging, Mm -hmm. go share the gospel with them. Well, it's funny because when I when I hear these phrases, two things come to mind. The first is uh, the people that go door to door knocking, saying, "Hey, if you accepted, you know, the Lord and Savior Jesus oh, yeah. Christ into your heart." And normally, those are more, you know, Mormons that go door to door. But there's other evangelists and uh, that go door to door and asking that. The emphasis is like you're either saved or you're not saved, and so it's like you know, going up, going down, um, you know, clean or dirty, and so it's like that that split that I think we both would agree and we can unpack this probably in another episode is it's not as much like that but the second thing that comes to mind is when I was in high school I was a part of an organization that is extremely uh, well known it's Young Life have you heard Mm. of Young Life oh yeah Um, in Young Life there's a lot of good things about Young Life and I don't want to just put it on blast uh, because I know several young men and women who have you know, began a relationship with Jesus because of Young Life. I know mm-hmm. several leaders in Young Life that are very, you know, outstanding people. But my experience with it, uh, I was being trained by, in high school, it, it's a very outreach-driven model. Uh, and there was a time where I was sat down in this class, and it was me and several other high school students, and we were learning, you know, how to evangelize, how to save, you know, how to outreach, because it's like that kind of outreach-driven model. And we had these journals, and we were supposed to write five people who we knew were close to Christ, five people who might be struggling, and five people who didn't know Christ. You know, and the people that were close to Christ, we would try to hang out with them and pray for them. The people that were struggling, you know, we would, you know, pray for them. And the people that didn't know Christ, we would go and introduce them to Christ. Uh, in, in in the moment, you know, that was all f- fine and dandy to me. But yeah, it it's very different than what I conceive of uh, a relationship with Jesus being. It's not this, you know, it's not up to us to judge who, you know, is that person saved? Have they accepted Jesus into their heart? It's so much more than that. It's a, it's a journey. It's an orientation, uh, a relationship. And it 
yeah, looking back on that on that time, it, it, it's so wrong to teach you know a kid that that's what witnessing is because witnessing is so much more than trying to pinpoint who you need to go and share the gospel with. That's not not it at all. Um, so well, this does, these these two phrases definitely have yeah. a, a bitterness for me. Well, I have some it, history. it creates a us versus them mentality. Mm-hmm. Like I'm saved, they're not, and that that's not good. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, at the end of the day, we're all created in the image of God, and if we want to be honest, we're all saved. It's just who accepts that. Well, and we don't know at the end of the day either. We're not no, the final judges, so we have an idea. You know, we yeah. We have to humble. We gotta. We gotta be humble, humble. Um, and not. It's not up to us who's saved or not. We shouldn't even think about that. No. Uh, as far as other people, like we shouldn't be overly concerned. But if you are, again, do something about it. Yeah. Well, with loved ones, I, I want to step back on what I said. It's okay to be concerned about you know where a loved one's going. Yeah. It's just that it's not up to you to definitively say, "Oh, I know." My loved one's going to hell. You don't know what's going on in that person's heart. God is already at work in their heart. That's mm-hmm. what I believe, that God's yeah. working in everyone's heart. Um, so don't just be slower to judge on if they've accepted Jesus into their heart, you know, yeah. or not. Yeah, that's that's a fun one. It is. You ready for the next one? Of course. Jesus loves you, and so do I. I haven't heard this one as much, but it's funny. I, I want to bring it up because I saw a YouTube video of someone um, who was very, very angry. And, and I've seen actually a few, uh, the people with signs, protesters, uh, Christian quote-unquote groups that use this, Jesus loves you and so do I. Um, and that's why you're wrong for doing this. So it, it was this guy on the train that was yelling at everyone, telling them that they're going to hell. And they're like, what are you What are you doing? He's like, well, Jesus loves you and so do I. And because I love you, I'm trying to... Um, so he was, it, it, it's an interesting phrase. Jesus loves you and so do I. Um, but I don't think it's all wrong because I think it's true. What, what, what do you think? How do you go up and tell someone that Jesus loves them and so do you? Man, that is a, that's a tough one. I mean, part of that phrase is true, right? Jesus does love them. But do you really love them? Mm-hmm. I mean, Obviously, we can't answer that for anybody except ourselves. Um, it, I think it's just a, in my opinion, it's a negative phrase. Like, it's meant to be like, you're an awful person. Jesus loves you, but so do I. It's sort of patronizing. Love the sin, not the sinner. Yeah. Or love the sinner, not the sin is kind of what I would associate that phrase mm-hmm. with. And that one, I'm not particularly fond of that one either. But at the end of the day, Jesus does love them. Um, but do the people that are honestly saying it really love them? Yeah. it's. I, I also wanted to bring up this phrase because I, I used to wear a shirt in high school that says, uh, got Jesus, question mark. You know, like the mm-hmm. got milk slogans yeah, that said, yeah. got Jesus, question mark. And I thought it was fun, and I thought that I was witnessing uh, but then it got to like my junior and senior year. I'm like, is this sort of patronizing? Mm-hmm. You know, like going around and saying, Jesus loves you or God, Jesus, that kind of a thing. Um, I don't know. It's not one that I'm going to say I was patronizing by then. I, it's just something that I, made me think more. I don't, I don't know. Well, there's one thing to be told that yeah. Jesus loves you. And there's another thing to experience the love. To show of God. it, to show it. Yeah. Yeah. And 
can we say that when people are saying this phrase mm. that they're showing the love of God? Yeah, witnessing is both with words and actions. Yeah. That's a good takeaway for this. But, like, seriously, they... I've, the, I'm thinking about the times that I've seen this, and it's never been, like, a positive. Like, yeah. when I tell my wife I love her, like, obviously that's a different kind of love. Or when I tell a friend I love them, mm-hmm. like, I mean it. Like, I'm not just going to say an empty word. But yeah. if I meet someone on the street and I say, Jesus loves you and so do I, do I really love yeah. them? I don't even know them. Yeah. But... I mean, that's the same with God. Like, he loves everyone. But is it capable for us? Yeah. I think is a question to be asked. It's Are some, we capable yeah. of that? It's something we have to strive towards, but it's a whole lot easier to say it out loud than it is to act it out. Yeah. Um, you can tell someone all the time. You can beat it like a dead horse that Jesus loves them. But until they experience it for themselves, I don't think that they would take to heart what you're really saying. Mm-hmm. It's like the it's like the instance of like you tell your brother to do something, and even though it's good for him, he doesn't listen. But someone else tells him to do the same thing, and he listens. Yeah, it's kind of like you sound like you've had siblings. Oh, yes, very much so. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so. There's a difference between telling people and mm. showing. 100%. And I think actions speak louder than words mm. in this phrase. For sure. Love is easy, yeah, more easily shown than said. Yeah, but we're not talking about like crazy off the wall, like doing love on the street or anything. We're talking about like literally just if someone needs something. Mm hmm. Literally being the hands and feet of Jesus to the people that you're trying to tell that you love them, and so does Jesus. Mm. Instead of talking about it, do it. Yeah. So, we're gonna as we wrap up this series because this is the last episode of our Christian Catchphrase series. Woo. I want to read off some statistics here in the in the United States, uh, and I want us to reflect on it a little bit. So. Th- Jesus, according to public policy polling in 2011, Jesus has a 90% favorability in mm. the United States. Wow. Christian evangelicals have a 61% favorability, uh, which is funny because 71% of the U.S. is Christian. So I'm going to mm. say that again. 71% of the U.S. is Christian. Mm. Jesus has a 90% approval rating, and Christian evangelicals make up 61% of the U.S. So what that means is... People who aren't Christian, they like Jesus. Yeah. Uh, people who are Christian, some of them don't like evangelicals, and almost everyone who's not Christian doesn't like evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a huge gap between Jesus's favorability and the evangelical Christian, uh, which is the tradition that we both belong to, uh, that favorability. It's almost like there's this Christian culture, yeah. uh, which is what we've been talking about these last three weeks, that doesn't reflect Jesus and who he is at all. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of what we've been talking about. What, when, when you hear all of those statistics, what, what does that make you think of? Well, it's kind of sad because, I mean, even if you haven't grown up in the church or been to church at all, if you read or, like, 
find information about who Jesus is, mm-hmm. I think most people would be like, wow, that's a great way to live life, mm-hmm. period, whether you believe it or not. And so, yeah, Jesus' approval rating is like through the roof because who doesn't want to live a life that impacts other people's in a positive way? Mm. It's just sad that Christians are supposed to be the embodiment and the representation of Christ, and we have a pretty low approval rating. (laughs) We obviously do a bad job of that. It is blatantly obvious. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like this these christian catchphrases we've created a christian culture a christian religion when being a christ follower being a part of this movement wasn't meant to be like that at yeah. all so like you can look back at jesus's time the pharisees they were like the equivalents of the pastors and mm-hmm. the church leaders nowadays the scribes the teachers of the law they were the people that jesus was arguing with yeah. pretty much his whole ministry And it's just funny that it's like playing all over again. We have our Christian churches, uh, our Christian religion, our Christian culture with all these catchphrases, and it's so ingrained into who we are. And yet, it's the exact thing that Jesus was fighting against when he walked the face of the earth. And the proof is in the pudding. Our culture, our religion, uh, our religiosity, this Christian speak, it doesn't work. People don't like Christians. They like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Jesus is very favorable. Mm. But it's also one of those things that, like, we have created this Christian culture mm-hmm. that's not always the most understanding mm-hmm. and the most uh, patient and gracious. Like, for instance, I'm realizing as a youth pastor, I've assumed a lot about the teenagers that show up to youth on Wednesday nights. I've assumed that they have a background and understand the Bible, Mm -hmm. God, Jesus, all of that. Well, we're growing and we're moving towards a lot, a demographic of kids that don't have any of this background. And it's definitely opened my eyes because I'm like, wow, like we're, we got to start from scratch here. And maybe that's a, a, good thing yes absolutely it gives me a chance to like sit back and actually kind of assess like wow we say these words Mm -hmm. and sometimes i can't always explain to them what they actually mean like one of them was like what do you mean by fellowship i'm like well i mean in the general sense it just means hanging out and growing in relationships with one another but we call it fellowship. Yeah, why don't we just like, call it? <laughs> yeah, why don't we just say, like, it's a, it's, it's getting to know people better. It's getting yeah. to grow with them. But we use these words. We created a culture that mm-hmm. is so inclusive. It's not exclusive. And I think that's oh, a problem. Exclusive, not inclusive, right? Exclusive, not go. inclusive. You're <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sad. It's not, that's not good because as the church, we're supposed to focus mm-hmm. On the unchurched. And I had a, I'm not going to mention the church either, that mm-hmm. I had a call with. Uh, I had a call with a church and they were talking about like, yeah, how are you reaching the already church kids? Like, I'm not trying to go after the already church kids. Like, we're supposed to be going after the unchurched kids. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just the culture we're trying to find 
already Christians and not go out and like make new Christians. And I think it would be great too. It's this whole Christian religion, the Christian culture, the church culture. Uh, I know here at, at Blue Mountain, it would be like we strive for that reaching the unchurched, but not to make them churched. Like it would be great to be a church of the unchurched, yeah. um, an unchurched church. I, I I'm not making sense, but you you get what yeah, I'm yeah. you get what I'm saying. It's not like I think that should be the goal to constantly unlearn this Christian speak, this Christian culture that's contrary to God's mission to to you know the gospel. It's contrary to that, and so. Yeah, constantly unlearning that. And the goal isn't to church people or to no. make them Christian. That's not the goal at all. Uh, if anything, yeah, that, that's a dream and a vision I think we should push for is to become less Christian and more follower of Jesus. Become yeah. less culturally Christian uh, and more follower of Christ. And if yeah. you ever listen to Pastor Jim on a Sunday morning when he will talk about Christians... Mm. He doesn't refer to Blue Mountain Community Church as a group of Christians. Mm. He calls us Christ followers. And he's very intentional about that because, sadly, the word Christian carries some negative vibes with it. And for good reason. Like, we've yeah. we've noticed oh, that. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's hard to separate God and Jesus from the church. Um, it's hard to. And that's why a lot of people reject Jesus and they reject God is because Christians and the church has done such a terrible job of showing that love, uh, showing that grace and that forgiveness. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you. It's great that Pastor Jim does that, that we, you know, trying to create that culture that's against the normal Christian culture, you know, trying to un unlearn that. It, it's so important. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough road to try to reclaim I guess once was that was lost. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not going to be a cakewalk to try to change culture either. Yeah, but it's something that's worthwhile. Yes. and I think if anything, if anything that we've learned over these past three episodes that these Christian catchphrases have deep and meaningful impacts on people, and a lot of times, most of the time, they are bad impacts. Um, and so it's worthwhile to be conscious of it and yeah. to yeah try to unlearn it. So main series takeaway, if you had in one sentence, what would your takeaway be for our listeners from this three-episode series? Mm. One word takeaway? Yeah, one sentence takeaway. Just, um, just parting thoughts because we're, we're wrapping up Parting thoughts here. would probably be just be quick to not judge and to... Think about what you're saying mm -hmm. because our words do have meaning. Mm -hmm. And sometimes an empty phrase is better not said than to be said. What might be an empty phrase to you could be full of church baggage yeah. and all sorts mm -hmm. of negative things to another person. Mm -hmm. So I think my big one takeaway would just sometimes you don't need to say anything at all. And my takeaway from it is, and it's mainly from today, when you do choose to say something, make sure it's from a place of humility, yeah. a, place of hum a place of humbleness, knowing that, you know, we don't have it all together and we can't judge. So make sure it's from a place of humility uh, and love. Yeah, for sure. 
So, uh, thanks again, Pastor Nate, for no running the gauntlet, the first three episodes of the podcast. Really appreciate the time that you've taken out of your already Yolo. busy week to... That's what I do. <laughs> to join us. Uh, I want to say thank you to you, uh, all of you listeners that are listening to this podcast. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, we it really helps us out if you leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, give us an honest rating. Don't just give us five stars because I'm asking. <laughs> but give us an honest rating. It really helps out. Uh, please share this episode. Uh, share the podcast. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram, uh, on all streaming platforms. But yeah, Please get the word out there as much as possible uh, if, if, you, uh, if you liked it. So we are going to continue releasing episodes every single week on Wednesday. So the episodes will be coming out Wednesday morning every single week. And next month, you know what our topic is? It's going to be living outside the bubble. So I, I got the inspiration from it following basketball. You know how they, oh, yeah. they had the bubble, yeah. the NBA bubble. I feel like for myself... In uh, a lot of people I know, coronavirus, uh, COVID has caused a lot of us to sort of put up walls to start mm -hmm. living inside our own little bubble. Uh, so we're going to be talking about, I'm really excited. Uh, I have a, a lot of interesting people that I get the privilege of talking to over this next month. So we can look forward to that next week. Heck yeah. Anyways, uh, send us an email with any questions or any comments that you have. Uh, it's the Curious Hope Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. This yeah. is Pastor JD. See you guys later.